The following is a presentation of Morning Drive Media. From the southernmost point of door to the lands of always winter, what is west of west and the shadows in the east, this is Casterly Talk. I'm Ken Abzak, and this is the show that takes a look at the themes, the lessons, and the great moments of... Game of Thrones, The Song of Ice and Fire, The World of Ice and Fire, all the things we love in Westeros, Essos, and beyond. A little quick spin through the world today. We, uh, we're going to be doing uh, getting ready for the big rewatch that begins next week here in Castle Talk. We will be going episode by episode, taking our sweet time. It is like the journey from King's Landing to Winterfell on the King's Road. Well, that's, that's what, 30, 30 days or so? <laughs> a little longer, a little longer. We're looking, we're looking well into a new year. But it's going to be fun. I'm excited. I have put off this big rewatch. Did not know... If I wanted to do it, when I wanted to do it, did I want to do it for myself? Did I want to do it with you? And all of the above ends up being the answer. After we take a break, we will um, get a little preview of what's going to be coming with the watch along. And I hope you, longtime Casterly Talk listeners and new listeners or Daily Thrones listeners who still check in, going, where's that Daily Thrones format? Hope you all join along week by week. You can binge ahead, but then just come back week by week. I'll give you the format that I'm kind of looking at because I want you to be able to call in and have specific takes and thoughts on those types of questions. Before we do, I want to talk about a call we had last week. Donald Long had a great call about characters' deaths and their connections, either their first moments, their last moments, book and show, how they went out. And what that may have meant for the character, what that might have uh, told us if we were paid attention, all those uh, wonderful things. So, um, yeah, big um on that uh, because uh, I want to get the call up here. Let's replay Donald's call because we got a good response here from Eric Monroe. Hey, Ken and Cashery Talk. Just wanted to call in here this week and talk about the deaths and the connections they have with their characters in the books and the show, such as... Jon Snow dies in the snow, also being betrayed, something that some people thought he was destined to do in his lifetime. Or Ned Stark, perhaps. The first major event we see or read about him doing is beheading somebody. The last thing we see of him is getting beheaded for being a traitor. And finally, also, Robert Baratheon being gutted basically by a big, raging, probably fat boar slash pig. Kind of have his connection with his character. Thanks. I just want to get your thoughts on it. All right. So last week I did talk a lot about that. And sometimes, again, it's very literal. Like, what's their first scene? What's their last scene? And I talked about Viserys, his quest for a crown, the hound and fire. Polliver having a pretty poetic ending. And, of course, Hodor being the one that uh, the answer was right in front of us all along. There's one I forgot. And thankfully, Eric Monroe is in there to talk about it. 
Hey, can and casually talk. So the deaf for me to answer Donald's question, you know, about like, you know, poetry and connections, it, it's it's Benjamin Stark, cold hands, because when we first see him on the show, he's riding in on a horse in Winterfell and he's embracing John. His deaf rides in on a horse saves John. So I think there's definitely some symmetry and some poetry there. And to be honest, when that episode first aired, I think I, I called into Daily Thrones at the time. I was a little upset because I wanted more than that. But in subsequent rewatches, I, I accepted it. And, I, you know, he, he's just a great uncle, Benjamin Stark. Saved Bran in season six and he saved John. So, yeah, for me, Benjamin Stark, cold hands. That would be, that would be my pick. Great Reminder for me, Eric, I've just always loved the character of Benjamin Stark. I love the theories about him, and I love I love show version, which pushes him into cold hands. And the book, uh, almost famously, we kind of feel cold hands will not be revealed as Benjamin Stark. That kind of famous note from uh, an editor to George R. R. Martin uh, back with the books when Cold Hands is introduced and uh, that red pin, I believe it is, that uh, this is Benjamin Stark, right? And George R. R. Martin writing back, no, no, that's a note that wasn't really meant for the public. So you got to imagine George is sticking with that. On the show, it made sense. I, it's just one of those things where it's like, I'm very curious to learn, it, once we do learn who Cold Hands is, if we do learn at all in the books, very curious to see what George R. R. Martin is. Has for that for the for the show. It's one of those. It's one of the things that that just makes sense when you're putting together a TV show. Do you want to reveal this mystical, magical, almost magical character that comes back and saves main characters, characters that we are generally rooting for? I say that because Brand's journey to the north of the wall, to the tree, and to the uh, three-eyed raven sometimes uh, brought out the worst in people. <laughs> Just didn't care about Bran. I like the journey. I get it's repetitive. I understand why they kept Bran out of one entire season. I actually really do. But anyways, that's another conversation. Uh, Bran takes a lot of uh, takes a lot of hits there. Benjamin comes back. Old Cold Hands comes back. It just makes sense that he'd be the one saving the the uh, the characters we know on TV. Again, I'm very curious to see what it could end up being in the books. But dealing right now mostly with show, it is a real just on the surface beautiful piece of Game of Thrones poetry for uh, what we see Benjamin Stark episode one riding into Winterfell for the feast for the festivities probably called down by his um, by his brother and uh, riding in on his horse and there's Jon Snow with a sword fighting dreaming about being a great warrior dreaming about being a hero and more importantly dreaming about getting away from all this and finding himself elsewhere Benjamin's there for that, and then flash forward to season seven. It's not quite a one-for-one connection. I think in the past I was so excited about it, I I kind of forgot that. It's not pinpoint level accuracy of of poetry, but it is what it is. It it, it is Benjamin riding in on a horse, and this time to save John while uh, he's got a, a sword in his hand, barely. This is after John comes out of the water. That shot, of course, that everyone freeze-framed, right, of, of the hilt of, of, of his sword, uh, long claw there. And what that meant it really was just shadows and splashes of water. Oh, we have fun digging deep, don't we? Anyways, not to belabor the point. I just love it. I just love what it means. I love what it uh, can, can be interpreted as. 
I don't think it's accidental. I think there was, you know, they had, if not the details, they had eight seasons or as far as they wanted to go, generally plotted out. You have to at this point when you're putting the show together. Can stuff change? Well, of course. Absolutely can change, and I, I do believe it did. But I, I think there's some some real just honest foreshadowing and intentions in those two scenes. And so it's interesting, so I love it. And what does it mean? What does Benjamin's death mean? I, I really want to dive into that. There's a great purpose to him, again, saving some Starks or saving some main characters that we love. And he's a fascinating character because he is definitely a Stark. Here's his uh, introduction into the show. There's John hacking away. Is he dead yet? I'm going to play the game for you guys because I stepped over him. Is he dead yet? There we go. Uncle Benjamin. (laughs) Oh, you got bigger. Road all day. Didn't want to leave you alone with the Lannisters. Find you at the feast. Lady Stark thought it might insult the royal family to see the bastard in their midst. Well, you're always welcome on the wall. No bastard was ever refused a seat there. So take me with you when you go back. John. Father will let me if you ask him. I know he will. The boy I beheaded. Did you know him? Of course I did. Just a lad. He was tough, man. A true ranger. He was talking madness. So the walkers slaughtered his friends. Well, two his widow still miss him. <laughs> A wildling ambush. Maybe. Die wolves south of the wall. South of the walkers. My brother might be the next hand to the king. Winter is coming. Winter is coming. <laughs> All right, so I, I wanted that to, this is a best of Benjamin Stark uh, clip there on YouTube, and I rolled into some some stuff we are going to be watching in episode one of our rewatch, and, and we can something we can focus on. Uh, Benjamin comes down with knowledge. Benjamin comes down with uh, an idea of of what is actually coming. It's interesting he is there uh, as the first ranger to focus on the wildlings, to focus on the threat, quote-unquote, that they bring on down. And he's got a lot, a lot of experiences there that would, uh, you know, definitely color his opinion on on uh, the, what the wildlings are to him, uh, right or wrong. Yeah, there's some real in-your-face experiences he's got that the other uh, characters might not have about the wildlings. So I'm not going to take away some of his grumpiness towards the wildlings, though, the show does dive into what that means and what that means for uh, the Night's Watch and and Jon Snow in particular. So it's interesting that Jon connects with him first and looks up to him. Uh, and it looks up to him with good reason. Benjen ends up kind of taking on a different role. He's gone. His shadow, though, hangs over it, over the show, over Jon. He's mentioned from time to time. His name is used kind of in vain almost to bring Jon out of his... Uh, his quarters, his chambers, and um, and to his death at the end of season five. That's how powerful that uh, that name is to Jon Snow. So it's it's definitely a name and a character, and a death 
uh, I want to focus on. I want to learn more about. I want to learn more about the why of Benjamin Stark and what he is. He is though. Uh, it is. It is. Uh, it is. He's a fascinating character. I'm going to play another scene here from season one, episode three. I can't wait to get to this in the full context. Um, in the full context of of uh, of the rewatch. But uh, you know, we love Tyrion. And we love Yorin right away. We love Yorin and Tyrion, and they're up there at the wall talking. And then and there's Benjamin Stark. I think we already like Benjamin Stark. And then they have this interaction that I still think is one of my favorite in Game of Thrones. And since we're talking about Benjamin, I just want to focus on it as we kind of dump all of these moments into the Benjamin bucket and try to roll up our sleeves and figure out the why and the purpose of Benjamin Stark. Better chance finding feed than glory. A nice watch is a joke to you, is it? Is that what we are, Lannister? An army of jesters in black. We don't have enough men to be an army, and aside from Yorin here, none of you are particularly funny. I hope we provided you with some good stories to tell when you're back in King's Landing. But something to think about when you're drinking your wine down there. Enjoying your brothels. Half the boys you've seen training will die north of the wall. Might be a wildling's axe that gets them. Might be sickness. Might just be the cold. They die in pain. And they do it. So plump little laws like you can enjoy their summer afternoons in peace and comfort. Do you think I'm plump? Listen, Benjamin, may I call you Benjamin? Call me what you like. I'm not sure what I've done to offend you. I have great admiration for the Night's Watch. I have great admiration for you as First Ranger. You know, my brother once told me that nothing someone says before the word but really counts. But I don't believe that giants and ghouls and white walkers are lurking beyond the wall. I believe that the only difference between us and the wildlings is that when that wall went up, our ancestors happened to live on the right side of it. You're right. The wildlings are no different from us. A little rougher, maybe. For they're made of meat and bone. I know how to track them and I know how to kill them. It's not the wildlings giving me sleepless nights. You've never been north of the wall. So don't tell me what's out there. You going below? Keep well, keep warm. Enjoy the capital. Oh, I always do. There goes Uncle Benjamin. Soon he'll be gone, uh, only to return a few seasons later. One of the longest, you know, uh, patience in that return there. Anyways, uh, I don't want to get... Uh, I don't want to get too lost in it. I, I'm, I'm posing this all as a question. Uh, I, I don't have the answer quite yet of why, the why of Benjamin Stark, but it's interesting this scene there. A lot of the framework of the conversation around the wildlings is already there. It's already presented to us. Tyrion has kind of the right idea about it. He's just living south of the wall and has never been too concerned about the fate of the wildlings and the free folk. As long as they're not at his doorstep, he's okay with it, but his thoughts on it are, are right. At least the core of it is. Same with Benjamin. It's just he has a different experience with them. He has to deal with them. 
and has to maybe reconcile uh, his compassion for maybe humans and the reality of his job and the reality of what he's got to do. It's an interesting dichotomy. And he is, of course, typically and traditionally dour, stark, uh, which I love. So this is a, a great exchange, and it gives you probably the most insight into Benjamin as a character. Above all, he knows what's coming. I love, uh, there's a lot of theories out there, a lot of videos, some good ones that you can check out about what Benjamin knew. Did he know who Jon Snow really was? We hear Jon in that opening scene saying, uh, correctly, Catelyn Stark wants to keep him uh, away from the king and the queen and, you know, not the place for a bastard. Probably a ton of truth to that. But I can't imagine Ned disagreed with that a lot because him wanting to keep uh, Targaryen away from uh, Robert Baratheon as much as possible is in his uh, interest. And so does Benjen know that? Does Benjen, you know, uh, want to, in in the show here, uh, really recruit him? Or is he down here for that? Is he kind of being honest in the, yeah, you don't want to come up there? Because he also knows the true state of the wall. Something Tyrion knew and imparted uh, the wisdom to John uh, early on on the ride up there, right? So anyways, uh, I'm fascinated with Benjen Snark. Stark. Well, Snark. I said Snark, but he's got some Snark to him. <laughs> Benjen Stark and Snarks and Grumpkins. That was on my mind. He knows what's real up there, and he knows what's coming. And he is uh, laid it on the line to Ned, who had to do what he had to do to Will, taking his head off. But in Ned's heart, I believe he knows this all might be true, and it's all changing. A lot of stress on these characters. Benjamin comes back to save the day, to give his life again for characters we love. And I love Benjamin Stark just for that. But let's dive in on the rewatch a little bit more into what Benjamin Stark brings to the story and why he is there. All right, we are going to take a quick break. Also, again, thank you to Eric for reminding me about Benjamin Stark. Uh, good call, Eric. Good call. Take a quick break. On the other side, we're going to get ready for that rewatch. I'm going to tell you what I'll be looking for in these episodes, and therefore, maybe you can join in and get some calls. Plus, we'll have the return of Quote of the Week here on Casterly Talk. Hey, it's Alden Diaz here to tell you about Octo Radio. It's an interview show that I do exploring the different passionate Star Wars perspectives from artists, writers, crafters, and even other podcasters, plus even some people straight from Lucasfilm. So you can come hang out on my podcast island and celebrate the Star Wars ties that bind us together. Oh yeah, what the pork said. You can follow us everywhere on social at A-H-C-H-T-O Radio. That's Octo Radio. And follow me at A-D underscore Strider. Hey y'all, what's going on? This is Kojak. I create music that can be found both on YouTube and SoundCloud, and now I'm a recent streamer on Twitch. So if you're looking for some chill instrumentals, check me out on YouTube and SoundCloud under KOJQ. And for some laughs, you can check my Twitch page under KO underscore JQ. Everyone, please be safe, and thank you.
team, I'm Grace Hancock, and I wanted to let you know that I'm adding new designs to my Society6 shop with several on their way. If you didn't know, you can go to society6.com slash Mrs. Graceface and shop prints of my original artwork, as well as tons of other items like stationery, notebooks, mugs, throw pillows. It's a great place to shop for gifts or just for yourself, especially in my shop if you like witchy expressionism. So head to society6.com slash Mrs. Graceface and check it out. And we're back here on Casterly Talk. Just a quick journey through my mind today on Game of Thrones. I'm excited for this rewatch. I think we're. I think I'm approaching it with a, a fresh set of eyes. It's been been a while. So if you're ready to go along on that journey with me, uh, I hope you. I hope you pop on. I hope you pop on and and. Uh, Maybe start to look at the show with a little uh, magnifying glass, going in a little deeper and asking questions. I love not having the answers. I love trying to formulate thoughts on those big questions, the big whys of Game of Thrones. So here's a kind of the format I'll be looking on. Now, if you if you listen to me over on Force Center with Joseph Scrimshaw and our current Clone Wars rewatch, it's similar to that. Really going through and just taking our time to figure out how these episodes connect to the bigger themes of the show. And, yes, the bigger plot points of the show. There's part of that there as well. Here we go. We, of course, are going to be looking at the themes and lessons. That's where my focus is. Put a pin in that. We'll talk about that. We do want to talk about important foreshadowing. The stuff we just talked about with Benjamin Stark, it's going to be right there for us in episode one. It's fun. I, I imagine. I imagine if you're listening to Casually Talk Still right now, you've you've done a, you've done the rewatch a few times. There is nothing more exciting, I think, or, or an exciting moment I think I've ever had as a fan of anything: Star Wars, Robotech, GI Joe, whatever, whatever I've been a fan of my whole life. Uh, nothing more exciting if like the first time that I went back and like rewatched an episode of Game of Thrones second time or by this time maybe fourth or fifth and picked up on a small detail I didn't pick up on on before something that at the time maybe there was just no way you could have thought to yourself again if you're not familiar with the books or the story just oh that means something like there's just no way right you're not tuned in on it you have to focus on this stuff it's there if you want to see it it's there if you want to engage with it the first example for me was Daenerys Targaryen and that really awkward, uncomfortable scene with her brother <laughs> and the bath scene early on. I think that is, in fact, our first scene. And, you know, when she steps into the hot bathtub when the handmaidens is there, oh, you know, hey, oh, Daenerys, it's too hot. Oh, my gosh. And she doesn't feel it, right? There it is, right? There's there's something, a big clue of what's coming. If you Again, if you have no idea, if you haven't read the books and you have no idea what's coming, that's a little different. That's something you should pick up on. I probably missed it the first five or six times I watched it. And even that's even after the show goes on. But then there was like a viewing, a particular viewing. Remember, this is what, 2011. So I wasn't going on shows to talk about every little inch and frame. I wasn't listening to podcasts, even though some did exist. I wasn't listening or watching YouTube videos, though some did exist. I just was, uh, gasp, just watching the show on my own. And it was, you know, I think during that time, especially that, especially that first season, 
uh, you know, it would be on my DVR. Back in the remember, just remember when just DVR was the cutting edge uh, technolo- te- technological advancement in watching television. I would keep all of them on there, then I would I would watch it. You know, so it was like, I don't know, season one, episode six, but let me watch episode one again. Gosh, I just love that episode. Let me watch it again. Which is why I also say season one, episode one, the pilot is the episode I have seen the most. Lost count. And then I remember I had that moment. Oh, dear God, she stepped into the bath. It was hot and she didn't react. Oh, it was right there in front of me all the time. So some of the things, it's just the way it is. Now we're more clued in. But then now also going back to the joke about the uh, hilt and the pommel of Longclaw and everyone's freeze framing and everyone's seen a shadow. Oh, the wolf's head blinks. It blinks. It's alive. John's alive. That th- yes. <laughs> it's fun. It's fun. But we got maybe two in tuned. I don't know. But I don't want to take anyone's fun away. I have all this stuff. So we are going to be factoring that into the rewatch there. Important foreshadowing. Picking up things with more meaning now. This is something I did do for the first couple episodes on an earlier episode of Daily Thrones Castle of the Tongue. Going back and finding, hey, here's the last moment Ned and Catelyn say goodbye to each other or see each other. That means something more now. And that's just when you have the full context of the entire story. Happens in any big franchise, Marvel, Lord of the Rings, Star Wars. Now, once you get the whole story, it's out there in front of you. Things, not just in terms of foreshadowing, but just emotional things, emotional moments start to emerge that now have more meaning to you. Even if, even if the intention wasn't necessarily there. You know, I don't think they shot the scene like, oh, this is the last scene that Ned and Catelyn have together. Let's let everyone know that. No, it's just a simple moment. It's a simple, tender scene. But now it means something more. So we're going to be focusing on that as well. Of course, we'll have favorite moments, lines, and, and, and scenes. Feel free just to call in about those too. I'll have those. Favorite little moments. We're playing around with that. Something, you know, I don't know. In, in Star Wars, there's always a silly quote in the background that I love. Uh, we'll have those moments as well. The star of the episode could be anything. Could be something as big as Ned or Jon Snow. Or it could be Roderick Cassell. Could be a dire wolf. Could be someone in the background. Uh, I'll have your calls. We'll also go into our our favorite quotes from each episode. That's how we're going to be breaking it down. But the focus, the big focus, will be on themes and lessons. It's really just kind of, quite frankly, on my heart, as if I'm some pastor and you're my youth group. It's on my heart to share this with you. As season eight, and the entire series is now really in our rearview mirror. And it is not on the minds and hearts and in the mouths of a lot of fans anymore, which is not anything about the show. It's just that that naturally happens. It's the talk that's of, 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 of the playground, and then something else comes along. It's still in ours. It's still in our hearts, perhaps more than anything. It's less in my mind. Game of Thrones is now way, way, way more in my heart. So I, on this rewatch, really want to go back, focus on, go back and focus on what was intended by the creators, by the storytellers, by the actors in their choices. What lessons, themes are there? I keep going back to Jon Snow. I keep going back to that moment. Standing before Ramsey's army. You guys heard me talk about it already. I'm going to talk about it again. But the reason this is kind of the centerpiece of my reason for going back 
And, and the reason I'm sharing it with you, this is a different kind of show. I'm not here to break down the theories. I'm not here to break down all the Easter eggs. There's other people that do that way better than me and be, because I enjoy them for that. I, I go to those sites for that. I go to those shows for that. I watch with my heart first. I definitely do. And Jon Snow is more powerful uh, of a character than I think even Jon Snow fans, some Jon Snow fans, realize. That moment before Ramsay's army is an iconic hero shot. But it happens because Jon Snow messes up. He acts impulsively. He puts his heart before his mind. He puts his passion before logic. He does it for good reasons, a reason we might all do it as well. Watching his younger brother, or who he believes to be his younger brother, uh, killed, murdered in front of him after being tortured and, and captured. and oof, I think I'd run out there too. I think a lot of us would. But that's part of the scene. John is there in that moment resigned to die. He's not there as a hero to save the day. He is resigned to his own death in that moment. But he's going to fight. And I admire that. And that's why there is some heroism in that moment and in that shot. It is Conic for a reason. But he's there in that moment because he's messed up and he gets into a war he cannot win because he does not have the support. Not all his fault, by the way. And his ass is saved by his sister. Something that probably could have been avoided before. That's why I love the moment. And that's why, to me, the moment is more powerful than intended. I got a friend that posts that moment a lot. He posts that gif a lot. Or is it Jiff? Yeah, I know it's Jiff. I don't care. Gif. Jiffy. <laughs> he posts the Jiff a lot and uses it to inspire himself, inspire himself, which, by the way, is fine. And, by the way, works. It's an inspiring moment in its own right if you just take it on the surface. But if you rewatch that moment and you put it in, full, in the full context of the show, that episode I, I did a while ago, a couple months now, on, on the why of Jon Snow, it just has more power to me. I want to go back now, and I want to go back with all of you to watch Game of Thrones with a little bit of a different perspective. Use our third eyes, if we are the three eye or Raven, to really look at what was there, the choices, and what we can learn from them, the successes, the failures, all of it. I think that's why the show, more than any other reason, the big fights, the swords, the sex, the hot people doing hot things, I get it. That's why there's a lot of reasons the show itself became popular. But the reason the story, George R. R. Martin's, hey, what if uh, Lord of the Rings had to deal with taxes? Uh, let me write something that's so crazy that it can't be produced. Let me turn some traditional fantasy tropes on their heads. Let me also swim in those that are very familiar. Let me tell my fantasy story. This wonderful world that we all love. I think it is so big because the show was able to pare it all down and connect to those themes, those lessons. And that's why it will persevere beyond any criticisms or faults and mistakes that the show did make. That's why the rewatch is here. And I hope you all can join me for that journey. And like I said, please, you heard it there. That's what we'll be talking about. Those themes, lessons, important foreshadowing, 
things with that are with more meaning, favorite moments, lines and scenes, favorite little moments, uh, smaller uh, ones, stars of the episode, your favorite quotes. Call in, man. Call on in. I do intend to uh, tape some of them as well and broadcast them a little bit later on YouTube, but audio will be out first. It's all right? It's all right. Let's end with a quote of the week. And we are going to Elena Tyrell. The world is overflowing with horrible things, but they're all a tray of cakes next to death. I chose this because there is, this has been a t- tough week. Another one. It's been a tough couple months. It's been a tough year, right? It's been a tough life, maybe. I don't choose this quote to undercut or discount anyone's fears or stresses or pains or sufferings that you're experiencing over anything right now in in the world, big or small. We all have them, big and small. States of the world, states of our own lives. It's all there. I used to have an old boss that would tell me every day when he got to work, it's a good day, I'm above ground, let's go get some coffee, dude, and let's go have a good day. Like he just, every day, no matter what was going on in his life, our lives, our jobs, I'm above ground, I'm not underground, let's do this. So Elena Tyrell, someone with a lot of wisdom in this show, someone who does some pretty cool, straight up baller stuff. Uh, has this real simple, direct word of advice. The world is overflowing with horrible things, but they're all a tray of cakes next to death, which is, again, not to make those horrible things small, but to remind you that you're still here, that tomorrow brings hope, and you can still go on, and you can fight another day. I think that is the important lesson. Elena Tyrell, everyone talks about, I don't know, Yoda, with quotable advice. Davos has got some great advice in the show, too. You could probably make a Davos inspirational advice calendar. But Elena Tyrell, in her way, Diana Rigg brings such wonderful life to that character and a pretty powerful death as well. I still think maybe my favorite on the show in a weird way. Has this great quote. So I hope it's in your hearts as well. Use it and let it take you whatever direction You need to go. The world is overflowing with horrible things, but they're all a tray of cakes next to death. That is Casterly Talk for this week. Let's get ready to do this rewatch. I am excited. Some uh, housekeeping stuff in uh, my career, too. Uh, You can go to KenAppsock.com to find all the things I do, but I do want to alert you if you're listening to the show, kind of when it comes out, you might be listening months from now, but uh, there is a return to comedy, live comedy. I'll be hosting, along with Josh McCuga, the Mark Ellis and Friends Comedy Show from the Viper Room in uh, Hollywood, California, West Hollywood, on the Sunset Strip, the Viper Room. Go to markellislive.net for tickets. It's a virtual show. We'll be performing to you in the comfort of your own home. We'll be at the Viper Room safely, socially distant. Hardly anyone in there. You can be home watching and rooting and hopefully laughing. So if you want to do that, head to markellislive.net and also go to kenapsock.com to the events page and you can get a link to Mark's website as well. All right? So that's it for now. Let's get ready to rewatch Game of Thrones. We'll see you next week here on Casterly Talk. 